Uh, so to start off the teaching today, Trudy, you can bring up uh, those slides. I'm going to be talking about all around and upside down and uh, see where this takes us. Um, I've got just a few slides of text to read, and I'm wondering if there are any of you out there uh, who are comfortable helping read the Scripture today, just to spread it around. Those of you who are not uncomfortable in front of people, and no worries, I will voluntold you if, uh, if necessary. <laughs> so, Gordon, you're one. Uh, bring up the first slide, Trudy. We'll have Gordon stand and deliver this. Nice big print there for you, too. No big words. Go for it. Jesus also said, The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First, a leaf blade pushes through, then the head of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. As soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it, harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. All right, well done, Gordon. All right. Any other uh, folks be willing to read just one thing in Scripture? Carrie Nuccio, you just got voluntold. All right. Very good. Stand on up and read the next one. Jesus said, how can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? It is like a, a mustard seed planted in the ground. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches and birds can make nests in its shade. Thank you very much. Sounds like a seasoned Sunday school teacher there. And uh, one more. One more volunteer. Yeah. All right. Saw your, oh, I saw your hand first. All right. Very good. Last screen. Jesus used many similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could understand. In fact, in his public ministry, he never taught without using parables. But afterwards, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. Well done. Let's thank our scripture readers today. Nicely done. So I'm going to change things up a little bit in terms of how I'm doing the teaching. I'll unpack some of this along the way, but here's what I want you to be thinking. I'm going to roll through some things that uh, I observed uh, in these particular texts and a few more uh, this week that I'll share with you. Uh, but I'm also wondering, especially in light of last week, uh, where there was just a really wonderful insight that was generated from you after I was done teaching, a thing that I didn't really hit on that much. And so just be thinking about that, not like we're going to spend a lot of time on it, but I'm going to roll through some stuff. And then I just want to, before we close in prayer, uh, I'd be curious to see what the Spirit of God might be bubbling in you. And maybe one of you uh, had an insight that you're like, hey, you know, this, this is what really struck me. Okay, does that make sense? All right. So on the next slide, this is stuff I want to briefly run through. Uh, first, I noticed that I have a typo. So stuff that struck me instead of thus struck me. The first thing I want to talk about is there's more going on than we can see, understand, or imagine. This is the first text that we saw. Um, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, and he uses metaphors, parables a lot to talk about this thing. It's a dynamic of things. And we don't want to get too hung up on the details, but essentially, just like you saw it, he's saying, you know, the seed is scattered. The farmer doesn't know what's going on, but it's happening. He doesn't understand what's happening day or night, but this thing is happening. It's growing. 
And the first read through I had with this early in the week, uh, the thing that really struck me was a great sense of hope that it's not all on you or me, uh, that there's more at play than us in our own individual lives. And I wonder if we would really lean into that, if we would have a lot more peace in our lives. You don't have to control everything. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to figure out everything because the Spirit of God is everywhere all the time, always at work for good ends, for shalom. You can count on that. And so um, I thought about Elijah uh, and his experience after uh, an amazing um, showdown between him and the prophets of Baal. He was running for his life because the queen uh, was after him. And he runs up to the top of a mountain, which was a holy place uh, for the people of Israel. And God meets him up there, not as uh, not in the thunder, not in the lightning, not in an earthquake, but in a still small voice. In fact, if you go back to the original text in Hebrew, uh, Elijah found God in the sound of silence. Knowing that, isn't it a good idea that we practice silence together <laughs> regularly? Because then we just might have it. Well, Elijah complains to God, I'm the only one, I'm the only one out there. And God corrects Elijah and says, huh, I've got a whole bunch of people that are listening to my voice. And, you know, there have been times in my life where um, I've been frustrated about a situation or, or whatever, and when I've been able to catch myself and pray that I would trust that God is working everywhere, even in those far-off places, it's extraordinary to me how often we see uh, some glimpse that that is actually happening. So I encourage you uh, to think about that. Um, there's a Psalm 20 that popped up in my reading this week, and there's one line in there that's particularly important for us, and it said, uh, some kings, some nations trust in horses and chariots, but David, David, the psalmist, David, the king of Israel, David says, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. You know, that's really important because we live in the greatest empire in the world right now. And we put a lot of trust in our government, in our military, in our economic engine. But for you and I who are Jesus followers, can we see the value, actually the more important value, to really put our full trust in the Spirit of God? Because that's where the action really is. It's a little counterintuitive. Sometimes those things don't mix well. So there's more going on that we can see, understand, or imagine. And that's a really, really good thing. The second thing that really stuck out at me was the seeds planted had a purpose. That purpose was to develop, grow, and then feed or seed beyond themselves. Now, just a little uh, Bible nerd note. Uh, we're looking at this parable in the gospel of Mark, which was the first gospel. If you look at Matthew and Luke, you're going to see a variation on this same parable uh, where Jesus tells it a little differently. He adds some other things in there. Uh, that comes from a source we call Q, uh, which literally translates as source, but it's more fun to call it Q. So anyway, uh, this may be very confusing, but we're seeing the original story here according to the Mark community, and they're just leaving it just as it is. Uh, and I want to talk about that for just a second here, that the seeds had a purpose. What God is doing in us has a purpose. 
our purpose is not just to sit around and wait until our life is over. Our purpose as people of faith is to grow, to mature, and to become fruitful, not for ourselves, but for other people. What you're seeing in the background here is from my home territory. So this is a field of wheat in Kansas. It's everywhere in Kansas. You can't throw a rock and not hit a field of wheat somewhere in Kansas. That may be a slight exaggeration, but not much. Uh, what is the purpose of the wheat? Is it just to grow like this and, and be pretty? No. The purpose of the wheat is to be harvested, not for one person to eat, but for many people to eat. And some of that uh, harvest, the seeds from that stock are going to be used to plant the next year's crop. It's all about uh, being uh, fruitful for others beyond us. Now, for some of us, uh, we don't like to hear that because we, in our country and in our time, we've sort of boiled down our spirituality to a me, myself, and I thing. As long as I feel peaceful, as long as I feel all right, then I'm nailing it. But that's not nailing it. How many of you uh, would really love in your life to have a, a robust spiritual walk with God? That's a real bummer that not every hand went up. <laughs> oh, well, it's a free country. Well, you know, there's a way to do that. There's a way to grow in your relationship with God and your spirituality. It's not a how-to thing. It's not a formula, but there are principles uh, that must be at play in your portfolio and your approach to developing your walk with God. Uh, we have designed our church around five of these principles. And you probably have heard me talk about them before. In no particular order, they're not in order. But first of all, lifelong learning, stretching our minds, uh, not being okay with the status quo or what we thought we knew, but continually growing and learning. That's a huge piece of it. Another part of it is serving. Uh, we call it kneeling in service. What are you doing for other people? Or is it just about you? Another thing has to do with uh, being a person of grace and standing up for grace, which has a justice component to it. These are kingdom of God things. What are we doing with our lives to promote grace in the world and justice in the world? Because that matters. Another piece is fostering connection in your, in your routine, in your daily life, just for you to develop that relationship with God. Uh, the old-fashioned words are devotional time or quiet time. Well, what are you, when are you doing that? And finally, uh, the final component has to do with community. Uh, we call it being incarnate with each other, where we recognize that, that Christ's self is with us, among us, in us, and through us. And when we come together, we're able to experience that in a profound way. So I want to ask you, how is your spiritual life doing? How is its vitality? And uh, my hunch is, is that if you pulled me aside after service and said, you know, I just haven't felt like I've grown for a long time. I feel like I'm kind of stagnant in my walk. You know what I'll do is I'll want to have a conversation with you about your portfolio, about what are you doing to develop your faith? Most of the time when people feel like they are dead in the water in their faith and they're not growing anymore, it's because one or more or most of these Components which just add into a, a, a normal relationship that's healthy with God are absent. Sometimes the only thing you rely on for your spiritual growth is coming to church on Sunday, which is great because we hit like three of the marks just by coming to church. 
I'm hoping to stretch your mind some. Um, we're certainly hoping to connect with God, and we're together in this thing. Uh, so three out of the five just by showing up. I want to say one other thing, too, just very briefly about uh, when we get uh, stuck. We tend to look for uh, things in our life that, you know, what, a way to explain it away. And I thought about the followers of Jesus. You know, there was a point at which uh, Jesus had a megachurch where thousands of people were listening to him. And then he talked some more, and thousands of people left. Now, some of those thousands of people left because they went for the show, they went to get fed, and they got fed lunch, and they felt like they got it. They got exactly what they were looking for and went on with their lives. But some of the people left because they didn't like what they heard. And I think we can guess that some of the followers of Jesus uh, who left would probably say to each other, you know, I just don't feel like I'm getting fed anymore by Jesus. And I wonder if it's because they were complacent or if the word that Jesus was bringing them was uncomfortable and they didn't want to hear it. My caution for us, for me and for you, is be aware that if we are not growing and stretching, which we will know if we are because we will be uncomfortable, that signals a problem. It signals potential stagnation. And just know that uh, because, man, if we have figured out God, if we have no more room to grow in our understanding and relationship with God, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. I've been married to my wife for 29 years, and I'm still learning about her. And the day I stop learning about her, that's trouble <laughs> because it means we're resting on everything in the past and we're not growing together into the future. So for what it's worth, the next thing I see here is the spirit is not swayed by our cultural values. Um, God cares about being relevant and speaking to us, but God doesn't watch CNN or Fox or any other of those things to determine what God wants to do. Uh, God is interested in what God is doing in the world, uh, which is always about shalom in a shalomy kind of way. I think about this. There's a story that crept up in my uh, stuff this week about uh, the calling or the anointing of David as king. And the story goes like this. Uh, king Saul, who is the first king of Israel, blew it. He couldn't stay obedient to God, and he was called on it. And so Samuel, the prophet, gets this word from God uh, that there's going to be a new king that needs to be anointed because God has had it uh, with Saul. So Samuel has it out with Saul and holds him accountable. Saul knows that he's made a mistake. You know what Saul's mistake was, by the way? is he kind of took things into his own hands. Now, the story is really ugly. I don't really want to get into the story. It's really, really ugly. Uh, but Saul thought that he had a reasonable uh, argument to not follow God's way. It made sense to him and his cultural understanding. So he decided to do it his way, even though he had clear instruction from God to do it another way. That's where the hiccup was. And so when Samuel is led by God uh, to Bethlehem, uh, to find uh, the next king, instructed to go to Jesse's house. He's got a bunch of sons, and God said, I'm going to show you uh, which, which one of these sons we're going to anoint. And so the oldest son comes, and he's this good-looking guy, tall, dark, and handsome, uh, he, like a firstborn. He's got it together. He's the performer. He's, he's making sure he is 
you know, being a second father to all of his younger brothers. And Samuel's thinking, for sure, this is it. But the Spirit of God said to Samuel, he's not the one. Uh, you know, people look at the things that the eye sees, how people look, their, their, their CV, their, their background. But the eyes of the Lord are on the heart. I'm looking for the heart. And so they go down the whole list of brothers, and not one of them uh, was the one that God said, this is the one that I want. And so Samuel asked Jesse, you got any others? Is this, is this all you got? And he says, no, my youngest son is out in the field tending the sheep. And so uh, Samuel says, well, you can go get him, because uh, we're not, we're not going to do anything else until we see this kid. And as soon as David comes, the youngest, the least likely to be anointed, Samuel senses God speaking to him, this is the one. And he anoints David. And the Spirit of God comes upon David and grows in very, very powerful ways. It's not the way the world would have guessed. It's not the way the world would have wanted it. And Paul's last letter to the Corinthian church that we have anyway, he says, you know, we live by faith, not by sight. We live by believing, not seeing. Because sometimes what God calls us to do makes sense only with God. And they don't make a lot of sense in terms of how our culture and our world operates. Goes back to this whole thing of what are we about? Are we about shalom? or not. God is always, always, always about shalom, bringing peace, wholeness, all of that into the world for what it's worth. Uh, this next piece is kind of interesting, um, and it's lost on us. So there are a couple things coming up in this next thing that uh, are going to be challenging, uh, perhaps, for you. And that is, the mustard seed was and is a shocking metaphor. I mean, I saw a lot of jaws drop underneath those mas masks as soon as we saw that mustard seed show up on the screen. Weren't you shocked that Jesus talked about a mustard seed growing into a large plant? Raise your hand if you were shocked today. Absolutely nobody here was shocked. How many of here was the, this was the, you know, the umpteenth time you've heard this parable? You've heard this parable many, many times. And my guess is that absolutely every time you've heard this, and the, the mustard seed uh, image rolled by, you were not shocked then either because it just kind of made sense. All right, small seed grows into a big plant. Got it. Let's move on. That's what faith is like. Faith grows into something bigger uh, than we could have expected. And another nod to it's not just about us, uh, but it's providing protection for others. And we could roll with that all day long. But you know why this is interesting? is because Jesus, if you just look at him uh, in the framework of major voices in Jewish history, and most Jewish people I know would recognize that Jesus was at least a prophet. And so if you look at him in the prophetic tradition, and you look at what Jesus had to say here compared to prophets before, and particularly the prophet Joel and the prophet Ezekiel, you see why it's shocking through the prophet Ezekiel, who we looked at last week. Ezekiel is talking about what God is going to do uh, to those people who came against them. And he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to hack the top off one of the cedars of Lebanon. And I'm going to take the top of that tree, and I'm going to replant it in Jerusalem on the mountain of God. 
And that tree is going to grow and grow and grow and is going to be this majestic tree. Meanwhile, that cedar in Lebanon is going to fall dead. What was this? God is saying, I'm going to do something great and powerful uh, with from something that thought it was great and powerful. I'm going to show who is really the powerful authority here. And the image that we had was a cedar tree, a large tree. If, if Jesus had any idea that redwood trees existed, he may have said that, or at least the prophets would, because that, all Californians would agree, is the most majestic tree in the world, right? But he didn't use a tree. He didn't use any kind of a tree. He used a garden plant. <laughs> A measly old garden plant that you're not going to really notice. It's not going to be all that meaningful. It's really nothing meaningful. It's just a plant that shows up for a season. And then depending on the climate and what kind of variety you're looking at, just sort of fades away until the next season comes. And it comes up again to do its thing. But nobody would look at the mustard plant that he's talking about and say, now this is a sign of majesty and power. We need to be mindful of that, because the Jewish hearers are expecting to hear about cedar trees, which are symbols of power and might. Instead, Jesus, who's talking about this all around God who's with us, working mysterious ways, turns it upside down. It says, actually, the kingdom of God is not coming an empire. It's subversive, and it's coming almost under the radar of the empires of this world. This much greater, more powerful thing is almost unnoticed by most of the world. It's just like a mustard plant that everybody walks by and doesn't think of all that much, and yet it is doing powerful work right where it is. This is really important for us to appreciate because most of Christianity, most of Christian history has been married to empire. We've ridden on it. We've counted on it starting uh, 400-ish AD, somewhere in there. And from that point forward, Christianity was the game in the world tied to empire. What if it's not What if that was never what it was all about? What if that was the last thing that Jesus ever would have wanted? By the way, that's the last thing Jesus ever would have wanted. Because the kingdom of God is bigger than our structures. It works on a different operating system entirely. It does not require empires. It can make incredible things happen apart from and under the nose of the empires of our world and get the job done. Very, very important stuff. So I hope that was a, I hope you're not too blown away by that mustard uh, plant thing. You know, that's a pretty big deal. And I know it's still shocking and some of you need to catch your breath, but we must move on. And the final thing we want to look at here, and by the way, uh, parables for some of you are really annoying. I remember having a conversation with a few of you and you were like, why didn't Jesus just come out and say what he wanted to say? Why didn't he Why didn't he give us a bullet point list like this? That way it'd be so much easier. And the reason why Jesus wanted to not do this uh, is because he wanted us to think about it and wonder about it and talk about it and not give up on it and realize that the story shifts through the seasons of our lives. 
But right now we get to a point where we're, we're asking the question, well, well, what do we do with all this? What do we do with all of this? If we know that this is what the kingdom of God is like, it's like a farmer who sows seed and it mysteriously grows in ways we don't understand. And it's, it's harvested at some point for others. And we know it's like a mustard seed, seems very small, and we might feel very small to us. And yet something large can happen because of it, which is all very hopeful stuff. Meaning that you are a part of that, that the kingdom of God is working through you. And even though you don't think you might have much to offer, don't limit what God can do through you and in you. So the, the next thing, really, knowing that shalom is everything, is really, the point is, to do the next best right thing, which I know hails from uh, recovery stuff, but do the next best right thing. Nick Saban is one of the nation's leading football coaches, uh, and he has a, a system he calls the process. The process is this. With his team, knowing that they, they are a perennial favorite uh, for championship games, he, he indoctrinates his team to not pay attention to how big the game is going to be on that particular Saturday, not pay attention to whether or not the rankings suggest that they don't have a chance against whatever team they're playing, not to even pay attention to the score during the game that they're playing or how much time is on the clock, because all of those things will not be helpful. That It will actually all distract them from the one thing they need to do next. Nick Saban wants all of the attention from all the football players on every single play to be focused on what is my role in the play. Because he knows that if everybody's simply focused on that and not giving a care about all this other stuff, there is a really good chance that they'll actually do the next thing they're supposed to do. <laughs> and it will work out well over time. What are you supposed to do as a Jesus follower right now? Is there one thing that you know of that you need to do? And by the way, it may seem small to you, uh, but I think it's probably more significant than you can possibly realize. Are there any Star Wars junkies here, by the way? I'm a Star Wars junkie. Yeah, I know who you are. Fellow Star Wars nerds. There was a, a movie that came out a few years ago called Rogue One. I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. Rogue One is an entire Star Wars story built off one little piece of uh, the Star Wars story, uh, I think four, uh, that came out that got the whole Star Wars franchise going. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything for you, but uh, the, the number four, which is the one that really started the thing, um, there's, this, there's this message that Princess Leia needs to get uh, to all the rebels. Uh, and it's it's encrypted and embedded in R2-D2, this cute little droid that, that runs around and can do all kinds of stuff. And that message has to get uh, to the leaders. The whole movie of Rogue One is how in the world did that message and the plans for the Death Star, how did they get from where they were into R2-D2? An entire movie made about that. Now, if you haven't seen the movie, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it away for you. The good news is, is the message was uploaded just in time before that Death Star thing exploded. And as that, uh, not really planet, but it was planet-sized weapon 
uh, was starting to burn in on itself. The two heroes of the story are on a beach watching the fire come, holding each other, knowing that they were going to die. Now, this is a piece of fiction, and so we don't have to take it all that seriously. But the point is, the hard work that those two did was not in vain, because more was happening than they could ever have imagined. And it would not have happened, perhaps, unless they did their thing. Do not think yourself uh, a lacking in power, because it's not just your power. Do not think that your one small act will not make much difference, because you are operating with something else going on. Do the next right thing, which if it's a God thing, it's going to look and smell and act a lot like shalom. So that's all I got. I'm wondering if anything has popped up for you. And while you're thinking about that, all the texts that I'm sharing with you are out of an ancient uh, thing called the lectionary, which we don't use a lot around here, but we're going to uh, for the next season. Lectionary was a group of readings that was put together many centuries ago. Actually, first it shows up in the Jewish tradition. They had their own uh, readings to take uh, believers through uh, a season of readings so that they'd be exposed to the whole of Scripture. And then Christians kind of adopted their own thing. Now it's called the Revised Lectionary. And here's what I'm going to be doing over the next many weeks, is we're going to take a look at what that lectionary is saying. Now, if you go to my blog today, you're going to see a hyperlink uh, for the Revised Common Lectionary. It's a very robust tool. With just a click, you're going to be able to see all the readings that I'm going to be playing with the next Sunday. What that means for you is that while I'm studying and preparing and wondering uh, what God's going to do uh, through me and what I need to share with you, you can do the same thing. You can go to it today and see all the texts that I'm referencing today. And you know that little piece I told you about growth, about quiet time and connection with God? If you don't know what to do, try this. Uh, take a look at the text that I looked at today, this one, uh, about the, the parable of the mustard seed. Go to the blog uh, today in my teachings and pull it up. Every day of the week, read it again and again. One day a week, just sit silently with it and wonder, how is this speaking to me? You know what I found throughout this week, and this is hardly new, and this has been true for me for forever, uh, is that when I choose to be open to a text and read it, fresh every day. I find something new every day, every time. I don't know what that will be for you. It could be a nuance. It could be a new word pops out. But if you want to have your faith grow, this is part of your portfolio that you need to have. This is like drinking water. Uh, this is like eating food. Uh, this is what will keep you, in part, spiritually whole and healthy. So I encourage you to do that, and we'll do this together. And the good news there, too, is um, you can either sit with what I just taught and play with that and come to practice if you want and chew on that, or you can work ahead and do your own reflection and see what comes up. Very, very flexible and fluid, but that's what we're going to be doing for some time. So I'm curious. You don't have to have an answer, but what throughout this text, the teaching, what's, what's messing with you? Yeah. My job is reading, in my opinion, the job of it is to actually train the physical actors to do everything that they can do so that they can place the Lord training the process. Yeah. 
nobody's going to get a pay raise for that, but that's okay. Yeah, thank you, Keith. That's right. Yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's supposed to be priesthood of all believers. You know, we're able, you are able, you have everything you need to go change the world. You know, you have it all. Anybody else in sight? You know, one thing I did was uh, this, uh, this idea that we don't know what we're going to have. I was saying, or I was having dinner with a friend of mine in Sacramento, and yeah, we're at a church I was going to, and I said, yeah, I'm going to talk about the natural. And he said, oh, I know the church. Church in Sacramento, but he knows the church because of the relief work that he's done over the years. That's cool. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, we get we get crazy uh, hits on videos from all over the world. You know, who knows how that stuff happens or why? It's weird. Weird. Yeah. All right. Shoot me an email. I know you got it. That's so good. Uh, the safety net thing. And, you know, knowing you and what you just described on yourself is you're a doer anyway. You're a get it done kind of a person. And that safety net doesn't mean you don't have to think about getting it done. We still have our role to play, but it's such a relief. Even if it feels like it's all falling apart, it's not because of that safety net. You know, most of the disciples were martyred. Most of the disciples were martyred, and yet they went to their death with this great hope and confidence that it was going to move on, and it was not all for naught because of what the Spirit of God is able to do. And that, that gives us all great hope. Anybody else? Yeah, Lauren. This is not all people. <laughs>
their bones, spiritual back, emotional states, part of the parts of their back. It's amazing. That's great. And that's the Nike thing is just do it. You don't have to understand. Just do it. Yeah. Anybody else? No? All right. Let's pray together and then uh, we'll stand for a benediction. So God with us today, you are here. Your spirit has been moving in us. It always has been. It's been among us, in us, around us, in ways we don't understand. Sometimes, God, uh, we have uh, owned too much responsibility and have probably gotten in your way. But we thank you, God, that you work even with our mistakes, uh, always toward shalom, always toward wholeness for ourselves, for everyone. And so we, we thank you for that. As the psalmist said at the beginning of the service, it is good to take time in the morning and the evening to praise God. We are so grateful, God, and we thank you that that is who you are. And so now, God, I pray that we will, we will take comfort in your safety net to know that, that we can go forward knowing it's going to be okay. I pray for our clarity to a person about what might the next right thing be for us today. It could be something as simple as shooting an email to somebody or baking something for somebody or saying hi to a neighbor or who knows what. But I pray that we'll be sensitive to your spirit's call on that and trust it and do it and just rest that a very good God is going to do something profound with it. All this, God, we give to you. We entrust ourselves to you. May your spirit work through us. And may we have the eyes to see uh, things happen that you're choosing to work in our world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together for a benediction. There should be one more slide there uh, at the end of my teaching. There it is. This is uh, the breastplate of St. Patrick. Let's say it again out loud. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Thanks for coming, everybody. Have a great week. Take care.